Hi, I'm Marion Ellis, and this is the Surveyor Hub podcast, the podcast for surveyors who just love what they do. In this podcast, you'll hear from surveyors of all flavours, businesses of all sizes, and also conversations with people working in the business of surveying, supporting the work we do. We'll be chatting about what matters in our work, our career journeys, and learning how surveyors make a social and physical impact every day through their work. Don't forget to rate, review and follow the podcast or pop over to Google and leave us a review. You can also show your support at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the Surveyor Hub. Today on the podcast, I'm chatting to Zoe Baker from Your Surveyors. This podcast was recorded the day before Zoe won Young Surveyor of the Year Award for the residential category. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Marion. How are you? I've been really looking forward to talking to you today, like all my guests, but I was really keen because I haven't recorded a podcast for a couple of uh, a couple of weeks. I tend to do them in um, in batches so I can get everybody all together and I can do it, uh, do it all in one. And I tend to do them in sprints and I do them way in advance. I'm not very organized, but this is something <laughs> that I've learned to be quite organized about, which is why it's a little bit bad timing in many ways, because we're speaking today and tomorrow is the Young Surveyor of the Year Award. Is, so I've got yes. two things that I want to talk to you about. One is Young Surveyor of the Year Award. And two, I was going to ask, what are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> but that is one of the most important questions it for is, us, isn't it, it really? But, you know, I thought to myself, would I ask a man that, you know, sort of challenging my biases? And, yes. and then I thought, but men's clothes are really boring. And I know you've got some amazing dresses, so it's okay to ask you. But we don't have to answer <laughs> that question, but I'll be watching, watching what you're wearing. But for those who don't know you, Zoe, introduce yourself. So I'm Zoe. I am the owner of Your Surveyors. I am a managing director and founder. Um, I set the business up in 2020 um, in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm here a couple of years later, um, grown slightly and um yeah enjoying every day what strikes me actually about you introducing yourself there I never describe myself as a managing director or a CEO and I use founder because I do all, all sorts of different things and it gives me a bit of yeah. um, a bit of license did you ever think that you'd be running your own business I thought that I had that mindset but I needed the encouragement And I think that with anybody, there's a bit of a lack of self-belief in whether you can do something. And sometimes you just need someone else to say, yes, go for it. You could do this. You're capable. It's that self-talk, isn't it? And I think for me, I was confident, but I was always worried about coming across arrogant because there is a line between confidence and arrogance, isn't there? And um, I was a very, very confident person, but I felt that actually me worrying about coming across in the wrong way restricted me a little bit in the past. And I don't think a man would ever say that, (laughs) not to to get into, (laughs) you know, men versus women. But you're right, you know, as women, we come across, when we're confident women who want to do all sorts of things and have a voice, there is a perception. And I certainly see that with, um, you know, online and the uh, behaviours that I get sometimes with all sorts of different things is that people think it's okay to treat me in a, in a certain way or when really I'm just a, a strong, vocal, visible woman and people don't know how to handle that. <laughs> I that guess. is very true. Yes. Yes. No, I completely agree. I'm sure there's a joke in there about my husband. 
<laughs> but he doesn't know what I do for a living. <laughs> so that's all right. He stays out of the way. How did you get into surveying, Zoe? So I wanted to change a career in my early 20s. So I actually started my working life as a teenager um, doing a hairdressing apprenticeship. So it was wow. a completely, completely different industry, as you can imagine. And I got to my early 20s and I was going to be buying a property with an ex-partner. And I was interested in property and wanted a bit more, you know, of a change of working life, really. i been on you know the hairdressing floor for a number of years I'd worked my way up to senior stylist within a, a short space of time um, and I'd done so you know many things uh, in that industry and I felt that I'd come to the end of that journey if you like and then I got a job at a surveyor's uh, working in an office and I absolutely loved it I just fell in love with the industry what I think stood out to me the most is that we are the only ones there to help the buyers properly and professionally we're the only ones with that type of knowledge to do that so yeah it, it surprised me and I sort of took it by storm really because in my first week I accidentally sold a, a home buyer's report for the cost of a building survey so my boss was very happy <laughs> <laughs> about that as long as it wasn't the other way around <laughs> yeah. I, yeah absolutely I set a, a good example there I think um, I worked my way up um, in that business um, was headhunted uh, for another company and then I was enrolling in the Saba course whilst I was working there did my first year classroom days working there then did my assessments unemployed with the vision to set up my business that I have now Ah, okay. So, so that has Saba been a, the, a bit of a journey, yeah. Yeah, so that's Sava the surveying school for yes. those who don't don't know, and they've got a diploma in surveying Level six diploma. Yes, that's right. Um, so residential diploma in residential surveying and valuation. It provides you with the ABBE qualification, and yeah, it was a really, really great course to do I mean I was in the industry so I was lucky to have a lot of support around me but for anybody that is looking to get into residential surveying in particular because it is so focused on that element of surveying it's great you know yeah I, I used to teach on the course at one point so uh, I'm also a fan of it and it's a great way to uh, you know it's vocational training you know you can work while you're your studying how did you find that though because I took a few years out before I I went back to um it was an institute at the time it's now, now a university and getting your head around studying as a you know mature student was really really hard how did you find the the process of doing that if I'm honest I'm very very much more of a hands-on person practical person and that comes from doing a hairdressing apprenticeship because I learned the most when I was actually doing the haircuts and, and the colours and actually physically doing those things. So when it came to surveying, I was very much one of those that had to see it. Get stuck in. <laughs> get stuck in, get my hands dirty, experience it. There's only so much you can learn from a book and it's until you're actually out there doing it. That's when it all you, you become like a sponge. It's all of that information that you've absorbed over those classroom days. When you get to that stage where you're going out a lot more, you start to actually, you know, experience what you've been reading. That's when I started to thrive the most, I think, in my learning. And um, it's important to know yourself and know how you are as a learner and as a student and 
what is best for you? Because, you know, the classroom days are there for everybody, but you have to make them work for you. And only you could do that because the teacher isn't going to know how everybody in the classroom, you know, what, what their strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to learning. So you have to recognize that and sort of put yourself in positions to make sure that you are, you know, working to the best of your ability. That's really interesting because, yeah, as a mature student, understanding yourself, knowing your learning style, you're in control of that. Whereas obviously when you're in school, <laughs> you don't know and you uh, any of that. And who would be a primary school teacher these days? What I do know uh, is my attention span was much better doing the, doing the Sarbic <laughs> qualification than it was at school. So I was obviously in the right place. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's just talk about hairdressing. Did you always want to be a hairdresser? You know, or is that well, just sort of what the, the options that were, were available yes, to you at the I, time? I Well, yeah. I mean... I was a creative individual as a teenager and throughout my whole childhood and teenage years, I was on stage singing, dancing, acting. Oh, no. Yeah, just reminded me because <laughs> I saw a video of you. We'll put a link to it in the show notes of you do you singing. And yes. I was just blown away, Zoe. Sorry, inter- <laughs> interrupt No, you. that's oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I was mainly a dancer. I used to dance for Erdang and Covent Garden, um, and I did the Royal Academy of Dance exams and lots of shows. You know, my mum was forever sewing <laughs> costumes <laughs> and shoes. Um, I think she does it, really. But, um, but, yeah, so that's where my sort of creative and bubbly nature came from. And then when it came to choosing a career path, I wanted to use that creativity and art, if you like. And I was just drawn to hairdressing and, um, you know, that feeling of making someone feel good about themselves, being able to create a style that blows someone's mind, you know, (laughs) and that's what I wanted to do. And I always, lots of my clients used to say to me, you've got magic hands, Zoe. And I used to love that. That was one of my favourite comments that anyone could ever say to me. So that's why I wanted to go into that. And also, I think it was the fact that at the time, you know, I wasn't drawn to go into college just because my friends were going. And You know, I didn't want to do subjects that other people were doing just because my friends were going there. I wanted to choose something that was going to help me progress as an individual and show my strengths at that time. And that was, you know, being creative and getting into the working, you know, working life as quickly as possible. And actually, I matured very quickly when I went into work. I can, yeah, I can imagine totally because you're dealing with real life and people. Whereas if you go straight to, you know, A-levels, uni, don't have work experience. You know, I remember my first day as a graduate employment position and um, everyone else was worried about answering the phone. And I was thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to survive 18 months um, if they're worried about answering the phone when I'd been on the phones for British Gas and BT and and different things in my um, degree life? It's interesting you talk about creativity. How do you bring that into your surveying, do you think? So uh, I think it's just about the creative mind that I have and it helps me actually when I'm at a property because I'm not closed minded. I'm looking at the whole picture. I feel like sometimes I've got eyes in the back of my head, which is great. And it helps me with those forward investigations. So, you know, following the trail. Sorry, that's the words I was looking for. (laughs) It helps me with that because I'm inquisitive. I'm looking for the next sign. I'm always, you know 
and and with my reports as well I I write them in a very creative nature I like to paint pictures for people and you know it's like a story for them you know they're just about to spend all of this money on this property and I want this document to be worth every single penny they paid for it and you can get your personality across in your reports 100% and I love doing that and I want it to be a report written by me not by an RICS surveyor I want them to know yes I'm an RICS surveyor but actually it's me that's written this report and I want that to come across as well. Oh my goodness Zoe I love that because I think we have this very stereotypical view in our uh, profession of, you know, to be a surveyor, you need to be very technical and methodical and efficient and, and all of those yes. things. And, and that does help to a degree. But to to use your creativity, and one of the, the, the life lessons I that really changed my career, actually, about um, eight or nine years ago was I, I did some... I can't remember if it was a coaching or event or something that I went to. And I came away and someone told me, you do what you do. You just happen to do it in the world of surveying. And I realized that I'm a problem solver. You know, people-led, creative problem solver. Do not ask me to cut hair. I'm not very good at drawing pictures or anything. <laughs> but the way that I would look at a property, or rather the way that I would look at some of the claims and valuations that I would that, uh, that I was dealing with, you know, I would creatively resolve them, you know, and just, just thinking in that, that 3D yes. kind of way. But I've also realized I need to have fun and color and I remember walking into the office once and I was in, oh, I was in such a bad mood I, uh, towards the end of my, um, uh, when I left my corporate job. And I remember thinking, I am not going to speak to anybody all day. One of those stops that we sometimes have. <laughs> and I know it's not just me. And I remember looking at my, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I'm sure, but I remember looking at my Outlook diary and it was just ram packed with blue squares everywhere. And I thought, I hate pale blue. I'm an autumn <laughs> colour. And, and so I, I changed them all, colour coded them. And then I went rogue and just did random colours. And I could see the secretaries behind me going, oh, what's going on with her then? <laughs> you know, um, but I felt so liberated. And I went and got myself some coloured felt pens from Ikea, which was just down the road from our office. And, you know, just being able to express yourself in actually what was quite a, you know, restricted, regulated, you know, thinking of the lawyers and things that I, that I deal with. It was so fixed and it just gave me, you know, some felt pens gave me this outlet. But and I've taken that with me ever since, you know, a lot of my work is fun. And I, if I don't enjoy doing it, I won't do it, you know. And, yeah. and I think we've got to allow ourselves to, to do that. And just because we're doing reports, you know, which yeah. are quite technical and or whatever, doesn't mean that you can't make them look good, show empathy, Definitely. you know. Yeah, you can still be technically correct in every aspect, but still show your style and your flair at the same time. So, so how, how do you do that? Give me an example. Um, I would probably, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to give a specific example. Um, but I think the way that I format my reports in the sense that I explain every element with sort of the same order, if that makes sense. So construction condition action is, is how I usually report. And in my mind, when I'm actually at the survey, I can then look at an element and go construction condition. Yeah. yeah and, and it keeps it like that. And then with the wording, with what I say, you know, it's all about enticing the reader. And so that they don't just look at it and go, 
this is jargon <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and, and we I, have we have so much of that don't we and I know a lot of surveyors you know we see it on the hub sometimes they'll say have you got a paragraph for this and yes. you know when I used to deal with the the claims there's nothing worse than just the copy and paste and you can just read the, the tone no it just take the, the problem with it, apart from looking not very good, is that instantly you lose trust and faith in what you've been what you're being told, and you just don't. And believe actually, it. if you need standard clauses for everything, you're an incompetent surveyor because you need to be able to articulate the wording as a surveyor. That is your job. Standard clauses do have a place, and they are fantastic as prompts, but you have to be able to then you know change them, dissect them add to them, you know, be, do all of that to particularise for that individual situation. And that that's a skill set, but you have to do it in the best way that's for you and your clients so that your client is served every single time because you can't just send the same report out to everybody. You know, it's not that, fair. Yeah, that's, that's true. And, you know, if we think about copywriters and authors and, you know, it's a skill learning to write and to tell a story, you know, about a property. Yeah. And I wonder... You know, as we're learning to do our reports and do our inspections, we might have report writing skills, but it's an art to create a document, which is, is not just enjoyable to read. You know, it's, it's about accessibility too. But if someone's not reading your report or taking your advice, in my view, that's your fault. As a, yeah. as a surveyor if they're if they're not doing that and that's either because it's full of jargon yeah. you know the pr- the process how you've engaged with your your client if they're or even even the fact that you know it was sold as an insurance guarantee rather than a, a tool to to use and so it's not just about writing a, a good report that someone will read it's actually protecting yourself at the same time isn't it you your business with your PI. and what you just said about engagement client engagement is absolute key in my business pre you know we give people the opportunity to have a pre-survey call with their surveyor completely free no obligation don't even need to say that they'll go with us for any free technical advice that they want at that stage and then if they do go with us they get a follow-up call you know straight after they've had their report we'll give them a little time to read it we like them to read the report first because you know it's important that they've read it and then if they've got any particular questions you know at least you're they're aware of the situation and it's a streamlined phone call and they can speak to us as many times as they need to and we've had people come to us you know they they're keeping that relationship with us 6 months later they just call and just check something with us and it's absolutely fine. And some people's sales have gone on a bit longer and, you know, they they call up at first and go, is it okay? And it's like, yes, you know, the, this should be absolutely fine for any business. And I think actually that's another massive attribute that I've brought over is customer service because... Well, I was about to ask you this because if you worked in a firm of surveyors, you'll have understood how it works operationally, I guess. And a lot of people that I work with or come onto the mastermind or and Zoe, you came on my mastermind earlier on, it started the year, I think it yeah. was, you know, they they don't have that operational background, which is quite significant. You know, we think it it's, oh, well, you just come to me for work. We do the terms, we have a chat, that's it. Yeah. It's much more than that. The customer experience and engagement is really key and it again, is. I view it as a protective thing to protect yourself from claims. But tell me how you've, because I know you've set some things up and you, you've automated quite a few things, haven't you, in your, your business? If I'm honest, it is all about that first point of contact. You know, it's it's 
what is their first view of you as a company? Because that is people's attention spans are seconds these days. So, you know, if you're going to be present, if you're presenting yourself to them, whether that be in a quote or they've landed on your website or they've gone on to, you know, your social media, you want that to be, you know, engaging or you want that to be the message you want to put across straight away. Um, what is really important is that it follows on consistently. It's not, you look great, but then they get through and the service isn't that great. It needs to carry on throughout the whole process. And actually, it doesn't just come from when I was in the office working in surveyors. This has come from hairdressing, the customer service skills that I obtained face-to-face with people on a daily basis, operating a five-star service all the time, consistently, you know, the business owners were very, very on customer service and customer care. We had an ethos, we had, you know, a mission statement, it was drilled into everybody. And that has actually helped me most, I think, transferring those skills over to surveying. And I brought that into the office. Operationally, you can, you know, you can learn systems, you can learn processes. It's actually not that, it's how you use them and how you you know, automate those processes. You've just got to always make sure that your business's message and the way that you want to present yourself is consistent throughout that whole journey for people. Oh, that again, that's that's gold, Zoe. <laughs> One, uh, two things came to to mind there. My ADH brain, as it does. One was, what did the hairdressers say when you went to work for a firm of surveyors? Were they? Was that like a, a bolt out of the blue? <laughs> <laughs> what do they think? And but the but the real question, the other question I was thinking was totally gone out of my head now. All right, so answer that one. What did they? <laughs> what did they think when you said you're going to be a surveyor it's or you're going to work for surveyors? Very strangely, it's very common for hairdressers to start as teenagers and then develop into your twenties. You start developing as an adult and you start changing as an individual. And you change, it's very common actually. So what it is hard to do is move to another industry. So deciding to do it is fine, but actually how you do it is very difficult because if you've just got hairdressing on your CV, most employers mm. won't look at you. It's it's true. You know, I was very lucky to know people in the industry at the time and I was able to be recommended, but Without that, I would say, you know, I, I wouldn't have got that position or I've been, you know, I've been looked at in a way, you know. That I they guess, just... I guess, yeah, it's sort of being taken seriously, isn't it? And uh, seeing past somebody, you know, it's the same as any other, you know, diversity issue in many ways. You know, you're a young girl who's a hairdresser. What does she know about property and yes. technical stuff and uh, and all of that and this is why it's important I think for people like you to be visible and to share what's possible it's inter- interesting you say you know a lot of people do the hairdressing and then change uh, a bit later and I guess that's you know a mix of just where we're at in our lives we mature you know at different different rates the opportunities that are open to us and I certainly think the jobs that I had from oh, I think I did a YTS job on a reception in the Grove High School in Wrexham years ago. I don't know if I knocked it down now, but yeah, that was like my one of my first proper jobs. Then I was did temping. And I worked in a car parts firm on the, the phone. You know, I did absolutely everything. But it's those formative years and the skills I learned there that then helped me 
to deal with all of these complaints and claims and not being worried about dealing with people and the juggling things. And and I can see you wouldn't necessarily think, you know, hairdressing, how transferable is that to surveying? But it is because it's about people. Yeah. You know, people and brand and presentation. And that's, that's really insightful. Let's just talk a bit about visibility because I know, you know, you mentioned some social media and you, you've got your own, own business now. How did that journey to having your own business come about? And how do you feel about being in front of your, your business? Um, I mean, I think as I was in my assessments with, with Sava, I wasn't going to be able to achieve what I wanted in the employment that I was in. You know, I just I just wouldn't have been able to do what I'd what what I wanted to do there. So it was definitely the best decision for me to set up my own and do all the things I wanted to do, but do it for myself, you know. But also I had a lot of support from, uh, you probably know, I worked with Garrett O'Hanlon and he was my mentor during my qualification and also a business owner. And yeah, he, he was a real inspiration for me because most of what I've learned is from him, I'll be honest with you. But operationally and social media and that sort of thing, that's all me. And I'm the marketing, I'm the creative, I'm this. And technically, he is phenomenal um, as a surveyor. You know, his knowledge is excellent. And the two of us work so well because I've got these strengths, he's got those strengths. Our weaknesses outweigh each other. We lift each other up, you know, where we need to, and um, because we are fully aware that, you know, I'm stronger in some elements, he's stronger in others. And that's how, you know, that's how it works. And we've managed to now get to a stage where we're very, you know, confident in our responsibilities within the business and we're able to play to our strengths, but also help each other out to keep learning and developing as individuals, because that is so important. You you never know everything. And, you know, when you're going into business and you become a business owner, it's really easy to be sucked into the thought process of, oh, well, I know everything now because I own my own business and, um, you know, I have all the say and nobody tells me what to do. And actually, that's the worst mindset you could get into. Did you have an idea of the way a surveying business should be run, a model, if you like, or were you all for doing it all yourself? And the reason I, I ask this is I come across a lot of people who, you know, might do the Sava course or, or whatever course. And I think it's fair to say, you know, uh, they tend to be mature students. So they've got life experience um, uh, typically behind or have been entrepreneurs in, in different ways. But it's quite a risk for a lot of people to just go and set up on day one. And I sometimes see that they're out doing, you know, level two surveys on period properties that even I wouldn't have gone near. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's there's all of that, but there's almost a, and I know some people have like a franchise option and do do lots of things, but I I look at that and I think that is such a risk and it's mm-hmm. a risk on two fronts because one, you don't know yourself enough as a business owner, the way you want to, you know, be a surveyor. You've not had insight into the industry, which I think is really, uh, really key. Yeah. But also then there's just your technical ability. Yes. Um, and people have lots and lots of experience in, you know, lots of things. But, you know, when you start out, yes, you can get the PI insurance, but it doesn't mean that that will, will continue. And then the complaints. That's the easiest time come, to get the PI through. insurance. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. 
And so I, I worry about people and I don't work with, I used to, but I don't work with people straight out of the box, yeah. if you like. And I don't work with people who, or coach people who just want a business out of a box either. They've got to have, you know, been in work for a little while or running their own business. I've got a good understanding, something about them and, and particularly want to have a meaningful business, which is what I'm, I'm all about. And that was a really conscious decision for me because those that, just want to grow, just want to grow and do the numbers, really don't care about the people and, and what it means yes. to have a survey. And yes. when you lose sight of that, that's when you get onto that treadmill. But they yeah. don't have, there aren't the models out there because we don't share all of this you know, information and, uh, and get to know yeah. each other as small business owners. That all we see is you know, the, the way to grow your business is to just start and then grow it and recruit. Um, whereas what you've done is you've you've almost sort of got your mentor in your business. And yeah. if I think about the number of surveyors who want to sell their business, and that's something that people come to me for coaching, you know, and, and things a lot, they want to exit their business. Well, it's a great thing to have someone to come in and to do that transition together, because guess what? Mm. Your business isn't really worth anything and you're de-risking, you know, uh, setting up for yourself and doing it, doing it the hard way. So it's interesting that you, that you, you took that, took that view, you know, uh, went on that journey. Yeah, it's really, really important. It's it's not easy to do to set up by yourself after you've disqualified. And I'll be completely honest with you. I'm the same as you, Marion. I wouldn't take somebody on who's just come from training. They would need some work experience. And, you know, the reason for that is until you are out there doing it on a daily basis, you know, you haven't put all of that, you know, learning to the test, really. And yeah. I mean, for me, the operational side of things, processes, the procedures, that was duck to water. I didn't have to think. So whilst a lot of other surveyors wanting to set up by themselves would have to learn all of that, I didn't need to mm. because I knew what terms meant. I'd written terms. I distributed, you know, all of that sort of thing. You know, operationally, I already knew what I wanted. So that, there wasn't really a lot of time spent on that because, you know, it was, I want this, it's done. <laughs> you know, that that's it because I've been in the office and I've quoted people, you know, mm -hmm. I've sent the terms, I've booked in the jobs, I've managed the surveyor's diaries, I've gone out with the surveyors and shadowed, I've invoiced people. I used to find reports back in the day when paper <laughs> was a thing. And by now, I don't have any paper in my business because my nails were terrible with the binder. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in your uh your mandate but this is my business i will always have good nails <laughs> and good hair <laughs> yeah you're right though because a lot of surveyors you know if they work from a, for a corporate and then come over even they've never really seen the engine room if you like, or had to deal with some of the, the hiccups. And, you know, those are the fundamental things that you need to get right. You know, it's that that, stru that structure. How is someone going to pay you? What are the terms are? Like? What are the processes? That's that all, that practical customer experience side. When I come across surveyors, you know, they're working for themselves and they're really wondering why they need an administrator, you know, a, a virtual PA, VA. And you just think, oh God, you're an expensive one. That's why you're a, a yes. surveyor and your skills are, are elsewhere. But they don't necessarily see the the value in it. So so it's so you've been able to come in and then you know set that up 
And then I guess it then gives you the, the space to continue to learn with a job with that that mentorship that you yeah, have. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's important for me because I've learned a lot about myself over you know the years that I've been in the business so far and learned about myself, not just as a business owner, but as a surveyor and understanding what my strengths and weaknesses are. And that you know, this is, I don't really like hierarchy either. I'm very much equal in my approach to everything. I advise hierarchy, to be honest. And um, I think everyone's an equal and everybody has strengths and weaknesses and we can all learn and develop and grow and flourish in our own ways. And I think as my business does naturally grow, because I don't want it to be forced, I don't want it to be artificial. It's a natural growth with the right people around me at the right time. And I'll be treating everybody in exactly the same way, them coming in and showing me their strengths. And, you know, we can help them to work to the best of their ability and make sure that, you know, they wake up happy every day and want to go to work because, you know, that's really, really important. You know, that's quite I would say unusual, but it's actually quite intimidating and for, for some people, you know, that there's comfort in coming in and knowing who the boss is and what you need to do. But it's that, and this is where I think some surveying businesses as they grow and people want to exit their business, is they need to get into a model of partnership and we're all in this together and, and how do we move forward and we all, you know, contribute to albeit in, in different ways. Because that's where you'll get most fulfillment, I think, mm. out of it. You know, yeah, you feel definitely. like you belong, you own. If you look at, you know, you know, like John Lewis partnerships and Arup and, you know, companies like that, you know, they're all invested in it, you know, and so you've got that common purpose. And we talk about vision and values and where you want your, you know, where everyone wants the business to be. And I guess that's something that I think gets quite lost with a lot of, um, of the larger corporates because it does become about the income, the fees, the points, you know, yeah, and, you know, yes, there's camaraderie, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But, everyone's there for to do a job and to to go home and it's a very different different culture what's have you uh, what's sort of actually been quite challenging setting up and and running your own business um dealing with the stamp duty <laughs> boom <laughs> during the pandemic when i just set up <laughs> that was a challenge in itself and um, so for me personally was managing my workload and you would probably know because we spoke about this on your course last year, earlier this year, sorry. And um, yes, managing your time is probably one of the hardest things that will never be perfect and will always need your constant attention because it's so easy to let it slip and to become buried in your work and never stop. Um, but um, I actually did a post about this on my LinkedIn the other day. It's so important to just step away for a minute and you know review your business from a bird's eye perspective take a break you know don't say yes to everything I'm terrible at saying yes to absolutely everything you know how how do you do that how do you do that what 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 helps you step away more about diary management now so I look at my diary and instead of thinking oh I could fit something else in there I go, no, I'm going to block that time out because it's available to me now. And it's sort of screaming at me saying, take this time. Um, So I've been doing that a lot more recently. And yeah, it's it's worked wonders. And I've got so much done that 
I've wanted to get done for so long, but haven't had the time to do because I've been too busy saying yes to everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, I think time management is is a massive, massive part of you know being a business owner, really. Yeah, the, I was. Um, there are practical things that people can do. You know, like so. So for me, if people want to book in to call, have a call with me, I send them a link, and it's got my hours that I'm prepared yes. to speak to somebody about something. And so you've almost got like a you know digital gatekeeper, if you like, that gives you yeah. protected protected time and allowing tech solutions and things like that to to support you is or people and my you know my um uh, lovely um PA Alexia, <clears throat> she's great. You know she puts my my kids' school holidays and things in, make sure I've got time clear because I ask her to do that. So it's using your business to help support you in your your life and and with your time. But I read a. Uh, an article to see if I can if I can find it I'll put a link to it in the the show notes but it was an article about oh, it might have been about millennials you know and how they how they want the earth but it, it was it was aimed at that but it was saying that how people now go into work thinking you only work a few hours a day you know everything's got to be hunky-dory and we've got to do things differently when actually you know we're owning a business setting it up you do put in the graft, you do do the 55, 60 hours a week, you know, and you can do that. And we know we can do that. You know, some of us have had babies and not slept for, a, well, me three years with both of my, both of mine, you know, uh, when people are ill, when different things happen, we, we can do it. We can do hard things. We do the graft when we need to, but it's ma- making sure that you replenish in some way and that you get that perspective because you can't do hard things all the time but we don't give ourselves you know permission to do it and whenever I you know speak to surveyors the first the first questions are you know are you busy is it going well are you busy and I don't want to say no not really <laughs> not really but that's good <laughs> you need to find a different question and a and a different and a different answer but it's not you know a part of it is saying I'm worth that time and this is what I'm going to going to do but it's again it's sort of seeing the picture as a as a whole isn't it and putting yeah. things putting things in place absolutely yeah I think maybe instead of are you busy it's what are you working on at the moment yeah that's a good question yeah what at the moment what, what have you seen that's really interesting because that could be do you know what I'm working on not doing anything <laughs> and having a bit of time out um and that's fine as well and I think that that has to be something that is accepted you know and there there is I think in a lot of corporate working environments that pressure to work 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 and I I don't know whether that's because there's a lot of competition you know you've got a lot of other people around you and you you know you're all striving and but you can burn out (laughs) you know (laughs) absolutely and I think that's the thing fear drives people you know the fear of the market crashing the fear of there not being any work, you know, for to come through. When you make decisions based on fear, they tend to be short-lived, limiting. You know, you'll take that job for that low fee, you know, yeah. just in case nothing else comes through next week. And it's not, um, you know, it's not about manifesting work. I've been on some random courses and programs. A couple of years ago, I was at a some money mindset event and there was a lady sat next to me who was um, a horse whisperer. Right. She, she talked to horses and, and animals and um, she, was, she was struggling in her business. And, you know, we had this conversation, how do you get, get um, working? And she said, I just close my eyes and cross my fingers and hope. And then the phone rings and it works every single time. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, 
maybe that's what I'll do. I'll manifest coaching clients or manifest surveys through. It does it doesn't work. What she was doing actually was marketing herself, being visible, talking to her clients, getting re- repeat business. And that's where putting time and some money, but not necessarily, but time investing that time yes. to work in and on your business is absolutely crucial. Yes. And actually that sometimes you need it to be a bit quieter for your mind to be able to be more creative. And that's when your big ideas come into your mind and, you know, your projects or whatever you want to work on, you know, actually sometimes you need it to the phone to stop ringing for a minute minute for you to be able to explore all of those other avenues that because actually I've found that over the last couple of years, I have had so many ideas come into my head. And unless I write them down, you know, they're not going to come back for a while. They probably will eventually, but who knows, you know, your mind gets filled with other things and then you forget. And, you know, that's why actually it's really, really important to go, actually, I've got a really good idea. I need to execute this and I need to make time to make sure that I implement this and not, oh, another survey's come in. Great. I'll go and do that, you know, because that idea could be what the building block you need for the challenges that they may be in the future. Absolutely. And I think that's your creative mind, isn't it? That's saying, yeah. I need to explore this. And the thing is, if you don't, if you don't scratch that itch, then actually your job becomes really boring and frustrating because yes. you're not having those other those other outlets. And it's important to plan, you know, over the pandemic years, it's been difficult because it has been just been flat out busy for, for most surveyors. But generally, you know, in the residential sector, we have, you know, ebbs and flows of, you know, quiet over winter and Christmas, the, the new New Year boom, the wobble over Easter, yeah. you know, and then quiet over the school holidays before September, October bounce, if you like. So we can plan for when we're going to have time off we can plan for when we're going to do a bit more marketing you know and attract and and make connections and and things and so we can build build that in we have much more control over it than um than we think tell me about how you've um been visible in your in your business and and your brand so we have our social media pages we've got instagram's our main page uh to be honest, where we like to post helpful, you know, quick, fiery videos for people that, you know, for the public and also for other professionals, if if they like. Um, and also we keep in contact with all of our clients um, on email and um, we do competitions and uh, we keep, you know, engaging people. We've done charity donations when uh, it was the Ukraine we raised money, so every survey that instructed us, they had the opportunity to donate a pound to um, the British Red Cross. So we did that over over a few months. So we do a lot of work with charities and um, we in- engage with people on a personal level. You know, it's yes, we do have our Instagram to have a little shop front and our website, of course which, uh, you know, is visible from Google and a lot of people find us through Google. But also it's important to look after the people that have paid you, not just the people that may pay you in the future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, as we're recording this, for some it's starting to get a bit uh, bit quiet if we work out who our prime minister is and (laughs) all of that. (laughs) And I can see surveyors going out there saying, I need to be on social media or, you know, where can I get leads from? 
and it's got to be consistently planned and it's got you've got to have build up that that presence because going on social media is no better than cold calling if you've not you know built up a, a you know a strong brand just to finish off let's talk about young surveyor of the year award yes and you've entered the is it the residential yes i can't remember residential yes residential surveying yeah Tell me about what that means to you. This is your X Factor story <laughs> background yeah. clip. Oh, wow. I mean, it is the icing on the cake. You know, it's tough for anybody, you know, setting up their, their own business. But I have experienced numerous amounts of challenges in my career. And I've just kept, you know, my mission statement, my morals, and what I believe in consistent throughout the whole process and I felt that you know now was the right time uh, for me I've you know been in business a couple of years all we've had is five star reviews which I'm absolutely delighted about you know every day I'm on tenterhooks we can't get any less than a five star <laughs> and um and you know this award just yeah it gives me shivers talking about it to be honest you know to become a a member of such a well-respected institution is, I mean, yeah, my mum is just absolutely beside herself, as as you can imagine. Um, and unfortunately lost my, my dad when I was three years old. And they, they always remind me of how proud he would be of me right now. And um, I, they always say I'm very like my dad as well, because he would be in an ice cream van one minute and roofing someone's house the next and then doing a sales job with a company car the next minute and that's why they say that I'm very very similar to him so yeah I think that it really is just you know whether I win or not just to be a finalist is and being recognized for what I've done all the hard work that I've put in has finally been seen you know people have seen it they've they've paid attention to it and and that to me is is winning Oh, honestly, it's going to be such a good night. Oh, no, I honestly, can't wait. <laughs> and, and, you know, I've judged on the awards, for, uh, the awards for a couple of years now. And this year I did the uh, mentor of the year category, which is which really interesting. And But when you look at all of the applications, it's why I did that podcast a little while ago about how to do the application. The thing that comes through is how heartfelt, you know, the applications are. And that's that gives you that you know sense of of truth of meaning to our work you know you can really see through the yes I've done lots of money with you know all these zeros and big contracts and bloody blah, blah you know you ju- it just absolutely cuts through so I can see you know just from what you shared to today how your application would have got would have got shortlisted what would you do with it if you if you won this award tomorrow night yeah what would you do with it it's another stepping stone within my career. It's the confidence and, you know, the you need to build on that. You, you don't just get the award and say, oh, well, I won that. Great. You know, it's OK, I've won that. And what's my next step? You know, where do I go from here? And I think, you know, I'd be looking at other awards, you know, maybe that we could apply for as a business. But also as an individual, I would be looking to, you know, work up to the MRICS status at some point. And I think that, you know, having that award and, and using that would really help me on that journey as well. It's a it's a massive confidence boost. I mean, I remember when I got my fellowship 
you know, not it's not the same, but the application to do the, the fellowship, you know, there's no interview or or award or anything. They don't even give you the little gold cards that we that you used to get now. But it's about telling the, the the story of what you've done, but also future pacing it and the opportunity of what surveying means to you. And and I think, you know, everybody who's nominated and, and takes part in the award, you're all role models. That's where that visibility piece comes in. So the more that we can share our stories, and that's what this podcast is all about, you know, the more that we can share that, it just inspires people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I want other women surveyors to, you know, look at my story and, and achievements and believe that they can do that as well because everybody is capable. You just have to believe in yourself and you can get there. And I think I think where we all need to work together is, it's one thing to be inspiring, but it's that that gap between being motivated to actually do something about it. And what are the mechanisms? You know, how do you get started as a surveyor and a trainee? Um, how do you juggle the kids? You know, while you're yeah. um, you know studying, um, how do you get from you know associate level to member yes. and Rick's level and is we're not going to answer that now there's, yeah, so many, yeah. there's so many which is answers. why I'm ending on that note but it's the, it's the gap <laughs> isn't it and I'm always yes. mindful of the gap how do we how do we bring that closer Zoe it's been lovely to talk to you today can't wait to see you tomorrow and whatever thank you <laughs> can't and, wait um, yeah I'll uh, speak to you again soon thanks Marion Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website, lovesurveying.com. And don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate, review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform. It really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do. See you next time.